Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. You survived one more season of Advent and you've almost survived Christmas. You'll be halfway through your day. And the joy that we have is that every year we have the opportunity to reflect back on what has been done, not only by individual Christians, but by the collective body, the church, and what we are able to do because God has overcome our weaknesses. And God chooses to do this through love. There are many ways to instruct a child. There are many ways to rear the next generation. And yet the way that God has chosen to rear all children of God is through love. Love that holds us accountable. Love that requires us to cultivate a certain standard of discipline. But always love that above all at the beginning and the end of each day wants us to be together. I've done many weddings, and I've read that same text at the wedding, and I understand that when I'm reading that, I'm also helping to kind of blur the lines where people think I'm reading about romantic love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Well, yes, I would hope that, you know, the person that you married is patient and kind in their love with you. However, when Paul was writing this, he wasn't writing to a couple who were going to be married. He was writing to a church. He was writing to a group of people who like all groups of people, struggled with unity. They struggled with what it meant to live out their faith in such a way that they could stand to be in the same space. People who had arguments and disagreements. People who thought, well, maybe things should look this way, and they think it should look this way. But rather than breaking and going our separate ways, they would reorient themselves back to Jesus Christ. And Christmas calls us to do just that. That's why we proliferate the world with the nativity scene on Christmas so that people will have to look once more, not at their inward desires, not at what the world is telling them to do, but what God has sent to us. There's nothing greater than knowing that everything that we have ever done wrong, every lie, every blaspheme, everything that we have ever said, spoken, done, felt, thought, All of those things can be washed clean because Christmas Day happened. We do not have to live our lives thinking that we need to live in terror of when we die. We don't have to exist wondering whether or not there is just darkness and pain and suffering on the other side of this life because a baby was born in Bethlehem. Not just any baby, but God incarnate. And Christmas Day drives us back to that purpose. And the world seems to perk up for just a moment. All the pictures of lights and houses and beautiful cards coming to see people, carefully wrapped presents. But all of that, if it doesn't point us back to the nativity, is sort of clouding the picture. It's making the mirror dim. Instead, we have this opportunity to look forward and see if we could wipe out anything that was blurring our vision or that was making things less crisp and clear and transparent, what might we see? What is it that God would show us through the lens of Christmas? 
And some of you may have been listening to Christmas music for a long time, and you're waiting for tomorrow to turn it off. I understand that. But the season of Christmas in the church starts today. We actually have a post-Christmas season. I mean, not all of this will be here for that long, but we will continue to sing the songs about the coming of Jesus Christ. We will continue to read scriptures that point us toward that. Because as one little boy pointed out multiple times in children's time last night, the wise men are missing. The story is not over. There are more things to come. And just when you think that you've crammed your nativity as full as you possibly can, more happens. Is that not the metaphor for God's love for us? Just when you think that you know everything that there is to know about God's love, you understand um, 1 Corinthians 13, you have felt God's love, you've been blessed, and you think, I know, I know what this is, then something else happens. It's like God says to us, you know what, you think this is as good as it gets? I'm just getting started. And that's what we have to remember as the church, that this isn't the end. This is just a new beginning. And that's why the blessing of the church is that Christmas marks the start of our liturgical calendar, not the end. Things will only grow from here. And ultimately, they will grow into Lent and they will grow into Easter. But we can't get to Easter without remembering that he may have come into this kind of world, but he will depart from a wholly different one one that doesn't seem to relish the fact that he was a perfect little baby, nestled in the hay, surrounded by God's creation, and two adoring parents. The other thing that I think about when I look at the nativity scene is that God took what could have been a holy hot mess and made something beautiful. You had a single mother pregnant out of wedlock. You had a father who wasn't quite sure what was going on here. You had a cacophony of angels in the sky. You have animals all over the place. You had strange shepherd men showing up at the wee hours of the morning. That could be an entire nightmare for most of us. But because of God's love and presence, this is something that most of us stare at in adoration. Because love transforms Love makes things so much more tolerable. It makes it so that we can get beyond our selfishness and our pettiness and our disagreements. It allows us to grow in love for one another, even as we are growing in love for God. And the early church recognized this. The early church, about 100 years, as I told the children, after Jesus ascended and the church was in its kind of infancy, where they were still trying to figure out what we were supposed to be doing, the church said, let's go back to what we know. We knew that on the night before he was betrayed, Jesus sat down for a meal. And at that meal, he prayed and he spoke and they sang hymns and they broke bread together and they had Holy Communion for the first time. And that was so precious and meaningful to those early Christians that that was what they chose to pass along. And so they would gather for a common meal, a fellowship meal. It became known as the Love Feast where they would gather together, and very early in Christianity, the Christians that gathered were from completely different ends of the social spectrum. They were from opposite ends of the gender pool. They were not all unified people, but gathered around that table, they were one. And there at the table, Christ made himself known, and his love and his unity 
would transform not only small little pockets of early Christians, but it would make us one of the greatest religions with the largest number of practitioners in the world. That's the power of love, that love can truly change this world. And for the scriptures, the scriptures that are built on prophetic promises of the Old Testament, that are built on the promulgation of faith for all of us in the Old and the New Testament, for scripture to say, faith, hope, and love abides, and the greatest, the greatest is love. Is that not what Christmas is all about? That the greatest of all is love come down. God, who is love, came down to us so that we might be loved and that we might love others. And so in a moment, you're going to have the opportunity to experience a love feast. And I want to share with you that it's actually in our book of worship. It's in our book of worship, and it says this in the introduction. The love feast or agape meal is a Christian fellowship meal, recalling the meals that Jesus shared with his disciples during his earthly ministry and expressing koinonia, community, sharing, and fellowship as enjoyed in the family of Christ. Although its origins in the early church are closely interconnected with the origins of Holy Communion, the two services became quite distinct and should not be confused with the other. While the Lord's Supper has been practically universal among Christians throughout church history, the love feast has appeared only at certain times and among certain denominations. In the modern history of the love feast, it began when Count Zinzendorf and the Moravians in Germany introduced a service of sharing food, prayer, religious conversation, and hymns in 1727. John Wesley first experienced it among the Moravians in Savannah, Georgia, 10 years later. His diary notes, after evening prayers, we joined with the Germans in one of their love feasts. It was begun and ended with thanksgiving and prayer and celebrated in so decent and solemn a manner as a Christian of the apostolic age would have been allowed to be worthy of Christ. And so today, you are going to have that opportunity to take place, your place, in a long line of those who respect and love what it means to come together as community. And when we serve it, which it's coming down, there are sweet rolls, the Moravian style, and then there's mold, there's mold cider and regular cider, right? Just regular cider. It's regular cider, but there's cider there. The love feast has been performed with bread. It has been performed with, with sweet rolls, and there's a crisp cookie that the Moravians make that you can use. It's been done with coffee, milk, and water, and we picked a uh, dairy allergy-friendly and gluten-friendly option for you as we continue to strive to eliminate those things. So, I will invite our, um, our greeters and our ushers to come down and serve you, and we'll pass them along. And don't worry, there's no spill that we cannot fix. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.